Hey, what's up? Welcome to today's video. Today we have a very interesting chart um, about Bitcoin and where it's going to go over the next four years. And it shows that we're going to top in the next uh, market, in the next bull run, we're going to top at around $290,000 per Bitcoin. And in this market cycle, we're going to bottom at around $2,800 for Bitcoin in the next few months. We're going to discuss that. It's very interesting to see this chart. It shows a bunch of useful stuff. And just to give you an idea, this person, uh, Phil Phil B, he actually called for a big crash for Bitcoin back in December last year. So in the Bitcoin top, he said that if we could crash, we could go be between two and three thousand dollars per Bitcoin. So he was right. He had that insight from the last bull market. So we're going to cover what he says. Also, Tour de Master yesterday made a big thread criticizing Ethereum, uh, sharing his concerns and why he's not a fan. And then Vitalik Buterin responded to it uh, tweet by tweet, which I thought was pretty cool. So we're going to cover what Vitalik said and his rebuttal to Tour's criticism. Um, also, we got a comparison here between the early days of the Internet. Right now, we are seeing cryptocurrency protocol wars. You know, you're saying which protocol is going to do better. Is it going to be Bitcoin, Ethereum? Do we need EOS? Do we need all these coins? And then we got Tour de Master showing here a comparison with what happened before with the World Wide Web, WWW, that we all use today all the time, versus the Gopher, which was another internet protocol. So it's very interesting to see the similarities between crypto and the internet and why WWW, the World Wide Web, won in the end and Gopher lost, even though Gopher had more adoption in the beginning. Which it's a really fascinating comparison, like really respect tour for finding this analysis. Also, we got a footage of a mining farm that's just completely destroyed. I'm not sure exactly what happened. We got Hobie opening a crypto exchange dedicated to EOS. They're going to open it. And yeah, we're just going to cover everything that happened today. So what's up? My name is Dvir. Um, today, the market is in the red. You can see that Bitcoin is at $3,814 dollars. Ripple at 36.4 cents, Ethereum 135 bucks. Yeah, the entire market is just slightly in the red. The total market cap 128 billion dollars. The biggest gainers are Pivx, and the biggest losers are Odem and Decred. Okay, cool. So let's get started talking about this chart. So I can see here um, the S&P 500, by the way, is just going sideways today. So the stock market is just nothing too interesting happening there. Okay, so let's talk about the prediction by Phil Phil B. So he shows this chart and he says, this time will be different. A lot of times people say like, oh, like this market crash is not the same as the last market crash. You know, back then we had Mt. Gox. We had 70% of all crypto traded on Mt. Gox, something along these lines. A crazy stats, right? And people are saying right now we got backed. We got institutional investors coming in. This time it will be different, right? This is what we say. And look, it's not exactly the same, but so far it played out very, very similar. So I think that uh, people underestimate just how much of it is not related to the fundamentals, uh, even though the fundamentals are improving a lot. Um, I think that sometimes the price action is just psychological. So anyways, according to this chart, he drew a time cycle based on the Bitcoin uh, block halvening. So basically you can see here the first halvening, the second one, and then the third. And then he portrays here a trend line of the tops that we had. You can see here how this growth rate kind of um, uh, slows down, right? As Bitcoin matures, you can see that the growth rate is less extreme than we've seen before uh, on the logarithmic scale. Now, obviously, this is kind of normal. This is just the growth rates, although we do have a lot, a lot of room to grow 
So anyways, what he shows here is pricing based on retracement levels. So he shows here four different retracement levels, um, which is when we hit, when we drop 61.8% from the all-time high, we see a bounce and then a new cycle resistance. So this is um, when we dropped to like $8,000 per Bitcoin, we had a bounce. And then you can see on the charts here that it happened every time. Let me zoom in a bit more for you. So you can see here, for example, we had a bounce at this level. And then let me see what else, if it really held. So here I see it didn't, oh, here we did have a bounce here. You can see it's a very sharp bounce. It's hard to see. And then let me see here, we had a bounce as well. So you see every time we had a bounce on this level. Okay, that's pretty impressive. And then at 72% correction, we had support before capitulation. Um, so this is when we had at $6,000 per Bitcoin. So right, you can see here, this is when we held the 6K support before we went into capitulation. And then in the previous bear market, this is in 2014, the support was at around, what is that, 200 bucks? No, 600? Around 200, $300, something like that. And then before that, we had support levels around here. Let me see if I can find that. That is around five, $2 hard for me to measure it with this chart but yeah we had the support and then after that we finally hit the bottom the capitulation um, 85 to 90 percent correction that is the capitulation for Bitcoin from the all-time high and then uh, you can see it here um, so we so according to this chart we should capitulate somewhere around two thousand and eight hundred dollars per Bitcoin so we are pretty close to that um, right now pretty much almost at the bottom and then let me see here, 99% correction is 61.8% of the prior move. Okay, this is okay. This is a bit confusing. So yeah, his chart is very interesting. Um, again, he had the insight in December 5, 2017, last year, to say that like, look, we're, we're in the middle of the euphoria. He was like, I'm calling it the top and a max out of this move being $20,000 per Bitcoin, but it could end sooner. Wow, we actually like legit called the top. A collapse could see Bitcoin return to somewhere between two and three thousand dollars. I lean toward three thousand dollars per Bitcoin. Wow, so much insight. I'm certainly not bearish quite yet, but we saw some serious volatility at 10k. Imagine what it would be like at 20k. Okay, cool. And then he just covers this chart over the year, so he called it out. Wow, like not much more you can ask for. So you can follow him on TradingView or on Twitter. It's uh, Philb Philb. Uh, pretty interesting username and uh, yeah, pretty fascinating chart. Let me know if you guys think that we will hit $290,000 per Bitcoin in the next market cycle, which is going to be in the end of 2022, according to this chart. So this also uh, kind of fits in line with uh, Tim Draper's prediction of Bitcoin hitting $250,000 in 2022. So this kind of aligns with these charts. Maybe they use something similar to reach these conclusions. But yeah, pretty awesome call. I really hope it does uh, pan out. It'll be freaking awesome. Okay, so Tour de Master laid out his criticisms on Ethereum. I thought they were justified. Um, again, I think the criticism is great for Ethereum. I love the Ethereum project. I think that having competition is great in the space. And having criticism, having competitors to Bitcoin, to Ethereum, to EOS, to all these blockchains, I think it's great. I really welcome uh, this competition. I think yeah, it just improves the it just improves the market. So Vitalik yesterday replied uh, tweet by tweet to um, Tour de Master's thread. So he had like fifty tweets in his thread. And um, the thing is, I, I'll tell you, like I read his replies and I wasn't that convinced. Like I wasn't sold on it. But maybe you guys would think otherwise. 
And um, yeah, I just find it not that uh, satisfying. Uh, but he still did respond to that, so I definitely respect it. I have a lot of respect for Vitalik. Let me see. And then he linked to some resources explaining, you know, proof of stake, proof of work, clarifying some stuff. So I will say that bottom line is that this is good for the space having this discussion. What I think is unnecessary for the space is people attacking people personally in the space. That is completely unnecessary. So I like this response here. You know, it's very mature from Vitalik, very mature from Tour. It's great. We, we need more discussion like this. Um, and I will say that my long-term perspective on Ethereum, I think it's a very interesting project. And um, I think there's a good chance they will succeed. But I think it's not nearly as high as a chance as Bitcoin succeeding. And as such, I think that right now holding Ethereum is very risky. Um, and the risk reward for holding Ethereum versus holding Bitcoin might not be that attractive. Maybe just holding Bitcoin will be more attractive. But who knows? Maybe Ethereum will 100x from here. I hope they do succeed and they do scale. Now, some other cryptocurrency protocol wars. So we just had uh, some war between Bitcoin and Ethereum, right? And then we got Tor uh, with the insight going back 20, 30 years, really, and showing here an article. Um, so this article um, is like, where have all the golfers gone? Why the web beat golfer in the battle for the protocol mindshare? Now, I didn't hear about the golfer thing until now. So this is an article, um, it looks like it was written in the 90s, just because they're using HTML and the images, they're not using CSS from what I see here. Anyways, um, they cover here this protocol wars, wars and um, the adoption. So you had www, you had FTP, which we still use today to upload, um, what is it, file transfer protocol, right? To upload files to servers and move them around. And then we used the, we had the gopher protocol. Now. At the beginning, if you look here, this is like 90, 1992 until 1995. You can see that at the beginning, Gopher had more uh, percent of total packet traffic. So they were controlling, basically in cryptocurrencies, we have volume, right? So they had um, uh, traffic. That's how they measure it, right? Because you traffic, because you move information. So the traffic for Gopher was bigger than WWW protocol. So it was winning. But then you can see there was a crossroad um, after a year of this battle that WWW actually passed Gopher at, towards the end of 93. And then he just went on to dominate. And then he passed FTP um, in terms of uh, traffic at one year later after 95, when I was one years old. So that's, wow. So you can see how this huge curve, right, of growth for WWW won. Now, why did it win, right? I mean, Gopher was there earlier, FTP was there earlier, they had a bigger adoption. How did they lose to WWW, the World Wide Web Protocol? So this is interesting. Um, okay, so a few, um, a few um, um, just things I'd like to mention. So first of all, Gopher grew in incredibly fast. Uh, the annual growth rate for Gopher traffic in 93 was 997%. Wow, such huge... Um, uh, Setting up a Gopher server was seen by many as the easiest and most effective way to establish a niche on the internet. Okay, and then, uh, but the World Wide Web caught up fast. Wow, this is so interesting. The last number, I believe, is what got off, what got Jeff Bezos' attention, right? Which is why I decided to build Amazon on WWW protocol. Um, just before Mosaic's release, the web was 0.002% of backbone packet traffic, ranked 127th largest source of traffic. So basically, it's like looking at a coin on coin market cap, right? If you just look at the market cap valuation or volume, let's say volume is a better metric, and you look at the number 127 of these, 
and then it actually went and passed everything. So that's a crazy um, uh, comeback right there. Where did I move it? Um, yeah, so that's a pretty crazy uh, comeback. So uh, by June, it was in the 21st place with 0.25%. By September, it had reached the 16th place, while Gopher was still ahead in the 10th place and FTP in the 1st. Um, read annual rate of growth for WWW traffic in 93 was 341,634%. Wow, huge levels of growth, kind of like what we see with cryptocurrency in the early days. In Gopher, links to other documents were found in the menus, whereas the web allowed creators to embed hyperlinks in the text body. Okay, so why did Gopher lose? Interestingly, the web needed less system administrators and if I understand correctly, it was a bit more censorship resistant than Gopher. So Gopher, you had more censorship according to Tour's conclusion. Wow, interesting. In the, wor in the world which Gopher beat the web, server administration would be more about intellectual control. Link checking would be more centralized. Okay, so the WWW, the World Wide Web, allowed you to have more freedom. Um, Gopher lost a lot of support when it broke with open source tradition and allegedly was going to charge dot-com website operators for licenses. Okay, so basically they wanted to make money um, by selling these licenses. And then the, the Gopher project fell victim to what is often referred to as forking, just like forking cryptocurrencies, i.e. splintering into many options instead of settling on one standard approach. So kind of like we had Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, Ethereum Classic. Wow. And finally, the Gopher team did not play the internet standards game as well as the web community did. Huh. Okay, so that's why they won at the end. So, wow, really cool uh, blast from the past to see these technologies winning, um, WWW winning at the end, even though, it was, um, even though it was late to the game with the adoption. So people are looking at this and you see that the more decentralized solution won, the one that was more censorship resistant, not really decentralized, say more censorship resistant so but then also i want you to notice how this growth happened very fast they happened very fast like their volume just skyrocketed so you see here that within two years uh www just dominated everything so honestly like with bitcoin and cryptocurrencies it looks like the first solution that came around was also the most decentralized until now i mean bitcoin whereas in the www the internet protocol days you had a more centralized solution kind of coming fat, um, before that, which was Gopher, right? But then Bitcoin, like the, the, w, the World Wide Web, won very fast. So the fact that Bitcoin held the first position in, in the first 10 years until now and it wasn't taken off, it's a huge win. I mean, because since then, since WWW won that protocol war, he stayed at the top, right? No one ever took him down. No one ever beat him, I mean. So yeah, very interesting analysis. Um, I love this comparison. Like I said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. And we do have, I think we could use some, draw some conclusions from this. Uh, interesting, interesting. Also, we got a, a video here of a mining farm. I'm assuming in China, this looks like a Chinese uh, lady. She says, it's a video, she says like a mining farm and you just see a lot of miners that are destroyed i don't know if it's a fire or if it's like a flood or what exactly happened or if it's a new footage but it got a quarter million views on twitter and it's from two days ago so i'm not sure about what's happening here but yeah miners are not doing too well right now from what i see what is the bitcoin hash rate right now let's take a look okay so you can see here that we went up um in 2018 then we peaked uh October, November, 
and then now we went down okay and then we kind of stabilized across these levels okay cool so year to year the hash rate is still much higher than before i mean the bitcoin hash rate yeah the network is just so much stronger the beginning than the beginning of the year also hubi is going to create a crypto exchange dedicated to eos and um it's going to dedicate enable to trade eos against a number of cryptocurrencies so they have a super node for eos they're a block producer um let's see and then they're going to create this exchange okay cool good to see the eos ecosystem develops and i'm curious how it will survive in the long term because it is a more centralized uh, solution like it is not trying to be decentralized at all whereas other solutions like ethereum and bitcoin at least have an emphasis on being decentralized right and then we got jameson lop here showing you the number of bitcoin atm crypto atm installations growth um, so the number in 2018 doubled to 4,000 atms around the world continuing a three-year trend of 100% year-over-year growth. Yeah, this is why I love being in this space because you see this massive growth and this massive potential happening year after year consistently. Now, also Pump here summarizing what happened this week in crypto. Um, India looking to legalize crypto. Uh, Litecoin sponsors UFC fight. Italy building a blockchain strategy. Kuwait National Bank uses Ripple. Uh, Square named Yahoo Finance Company of the Year. Bitcoin still not dead onwards. Love these little summaries. Also, Jake Chervinsky, lawyer, talks here about what's going to happen on a legal side when crypto companies are going to fire their employees and then the employees will be pissed. Some of them will be pissed and then they could often become whistleblowers, especially if they have valuable intel that entitles them to an SEC or CFTC bounty reward. So basically, you're going to get fired from your company. You're going to be pissed. And then you're going to get some, you're going to see some bounty reward if you, you know, uh, give them some information and then you're going to do it and you're going to screw over your previous employer. Wow. So um, interesting um, observation. I don't know if this is actually going to happen, but uh, we'll see. Also, someone says, wouldn't be surprised if it will not happen if they signed NDAs. And then he, Jake says, NDAs generally cannot be used to prevent someone from reporting illegal conduct, conduct to an enforcement authority. In other words, if someone broke the law, an NDA isn't going to necessarily save them. Also, we need cryptocurrencies. Uh, we get the hacker news. That's so frustrating. PayPal has permanently banned all of our accounts without mentioning any reason and hold wallet funds wrongly for 180 days for six months. Upon asking, PayPal also refused to share any details. So basically, the hacker news, they have more than half a million followers on Twitter. Um, it's a really credible website and um, PayPal just banned them for no reason. Here's what they says. Instead of giving a reason, the company says specific reasons for such a decision is proprietary and is not, it is not released since that could impair PayPal ability to do business in a safe and secure manner. Seriously, PayPal, you have to mention at least one valid reason. And then, of course, in the comment section, everybody is like, use Bitcoin, including myself. It's time for plan B, Bitcoin plan. Yeah, and then everybody just shields Bitcoin in the comments i love how the community of crypto hodlers and bitcoin enthusiasts is like so annoying um sometimes they're just attacking people like use bitcoin use bitcoin but yeah it is a it is a pretty damn good solution right so yeah the hacker news it's a very credible website and paypal completely screwed them over right such a shame man and then also litecoin foundation uploads a video of the ufc fight you can see litecoin in the middle on the ring um, cool to see them sponsoring, trying to drive crypto awareness, although I don't think it really helps that much. I think it would help more if we build products that people would want to use. So maybe instead of sponsoring Litecoin in the UFC, maybe you would add 
buying UFC tickets with Bitcoin and Litecoin and Ethereum, maybe that would be more useful than just buying advertising like that. Also, ironically, we have a story here on the website Wired. Now, the story is about personal data. And uh, it's funny, the, the article, if you go to it, it actually has 32 trackers on the website. So if you read this article, you expose yourself to 20, 32 tracking uh, different trackers for different things. So that is um, hilarious, hilarious. The irony, the irony. Also, Dan Heddle, very insightful tweet. So right now what we're seeing with cryptocurrencies, I believe, is the separation of money and state. Until now, across history, we had governments and money intertwined. You have a government, they create the fiat currency, they control it. Um, but now with Bitcoin and with cryptocurrencies, I feel like I think that we're starting to see the separation of that very slow trend. It's going to take years to formally, to completely like formulate and mature. But right now we're seeing the beginning of that separation where I think 20, 30 years from now, your government and your money are going to be separate entities, which is going to be amazing, in my opinion. So Dan Heddle says here in 1776, we had the separation of church and state before that it was connected. And now we have the separation of money and state. And I think that the separation of church and state was great for humanity as in general. And I think that just in general, whenever you separate, whenever you give less power to specific entities, that's when everyone else benefits. So I think just when you remove power from someone that has so much power already, like the state, I think it's just going to be better in general uh, because humans tend to abuse power, right? So the less power you have, the better off you're going to be uh, pretty much. That is my opinion. Um, yeah, let me know if you think otherwise. Also, we got an article that was published on some newspaper um, saying why Bitcoin needs the IRS. Very interesting. It's like, oh, yes, the IRS will save Bitcoin with taxes. I thought it was pretty funny. Someone actually published it. Also, NVIDIA is facing a class action lawsuit after they had a lot of losses uh, because of their crypto mining solution plan didn't work out as planned. So they're basically being sued right now um, by Shell Law Firm. Let me see. The company made false and misleading statements to the market. Wow. So basically they overpromised or they said we can get out of it if it doesn't work out. And then the stock just went downhill so now they are um, a lot of their investors are completely pissed let's let's look at the stock a second boom yeah just completely crashed yeah also hobby is going to launch okay we covered that already um also u.s regulators they recovered so they did and the u.s regulators did 90 crypto scam takedowns recently in the last two years i'm guessing but out of these 90 takedowns, they only recovered $36 million from these scams, which is really a shame. So it looks like they're not able to get the money um, as well as they should. So I'm curious what's going to happen to these $36 million that they did recover. Are they going to give it back to investors? How that's exactly going to work? And how do we re recover more funds from scams once we do interfere with them? How do we get more of the Bitcoins, that were, the cryptocurrencies that were lost? back to the original investors, you know, the Bitcoin, the Ether, whatever. Also, we got a, a study. I'm a little bit skeptical of these studies every time. And one in seven Chinese have invested in cryptocurrency, uh, saying that, um, yeah, 14% of Chinese citizens have invested in crypto. I'm not sure if that's exactly true. Um, but yeah, like, it's cool to see these. If it is true, it is awesome. I don't know if a seventh of Chinese people hold cryptocurrencies. 
that sounds like BS to me, but yeah, I hope we are seeing some adoption and it is increasing. And then finally, guys, I'd like to say that this year, um, in 2018, we got a LinkedIn report um, showing that the biggest growth that we had for um, emerging jobs, like we've seen the huge growth in cryptocurrencies, the fastest growing job section, um, the most demand is for blockchain developers. There was actually 33x growth in 2018, even in this bear market, followed by machine learning, um, application sales, machine learning, and professional medical representative. So yeah, this is an awesome skill to have, you know, Solidity, Blockchain, Ethereum, Cryptocurrency, and Node.js. So actually, um, this is why I'm doing a webinar. And if you guys want to learn blockchain programming right now, you can get a lot. You can get really high salaries because these jobs are really in demand. Like blockchain developers are in high demand right now because this skill is so new. So there's not a lot of people that know how to do blockchain programming, but there are a lot of companies that would like to hire them to build solutions on Ethereum, Web 3.0, um, and just integrate with this revolution, right? So um, I'm going to do a webinar that shows you, even if you have no programming experience, how to get started and learn it and how to get a job as a blockchain developer. You can make anywhere from $85,000 to $145,000 a year as a blockchain developer. So you make $8,000, $10,000 every single month without risking your capital, without investing in cryptocurrencies and having it crash really hard. So I really recommend it for you guys. I'm actually a developer. My first business was making Android apps six years ago when Android apps were really big. And now um, and dApps and uh, blockchain is really big. So that is the next skill. That is the big trend, which is why I recommend you guys check it out, sign up and uh, join the free webinar. I'll be happy to see you there. So if you enjoyed the video, please leave a like and subscribe and uh, much love. See you soon. Bye bye.